Uh, so excited you're here. Welcome. This, is, uh, this has been a great morning so far, and it will continue to be a great morning, uh, we hope, right? Um, and I am, uh, I am excited to talk about this idea of profoundly ordinary. Um, we live in a culture that is obsessed with the extraordinary. We live in a culture that is fascinated by fame, by fortune, by making a name for yourself, right? We hear all the time uh, that you can get rich quick or you can uh, jump onto a reality television show and be a C-level celebrity without actually contributing anything to society of value. We have a culture that is fascinated with fame and with the extraordinary, with the special, with the crazy, with the, with the wow. But you probably, like me, know uh, many people who are either rich or famous, and they are flat-out miserable. Wealthy, miserable people are a dime a dozen. And uh, I saw a documentary recently of uh, one of the guys who was responsible for those big Ponzi schemes that uh, were a part of taking down our financial market. Um, this guy... I think it was $400 million he swindled out of people. And he didn't, in this interview, he says, I didn't intend on being that guy. I didn't intend on having this effect and this impact, but I was so consumed with wanting to be somebody, with wanting to live up to the hype of my expectations, my family's expectations for who I should be, that I just got in over my head. And then to keep to keep the thing rolling, I just had to keep taking and keep borrowing and paying back with this and taking with... And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was running this huge financial lie, and it imploded on him, and he'll spend the next 25 years of his life in federal prison. We have this, in our culture, this obsession with getting somewhere where we're not, that if we can somehow get there, then maybe we'll be satisfied. Maybe, maybe that will fulfill us. I have that in me. Maybe perhaps you have that in, in you. I grew up oldest of three boys, oldest of 11 grandkids, and the captain of all my sports teams through college. And I had these high expectations for what I was supposed to do, given by my parents saying, oh, you know, you're just, you're just a born leader. You're going to lead. Or, or, you know, grandma thinks I should be president. Or, you know, I mean, you've got uh, coaches along the way that just kind of breathe in, maybe if you're lucky enough to have people like that that breathe into your life and tell you, and so you can start to think like, yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be somebody. I'm going to be great. And listen, there is nothing wrong with that belief. But when you start there, when you start with that obsession of being somebody else and getting to someplace else, you become self-consumed and it will never satisfy. It will never satisfy. Uh, I wrote myself a letter a couple of years ago. You might want to jot this down. There's a website called futureme.org, and you can go onto this website, and you can type a letter to yourself and tell them when to deliver it. So I forgot that I did this. I forgot that I did this. But Friday, the letter from me came to me. <laughs> and I open it up, and I'm like... Oh, oh, that's right. I, I wrote myself a note, it was a year or two ago, and I wanted to read it to you because, because I, like some of you, have been at times in my life obsessed with getting somewhere else, of getting to that dream, of, of becoming that special person, of being this sought-after guy, of being somewhere other than where I am right now. And I went through a quarter-life crisis as a result. 
I was so... I was so hopeful that I would get there and so disappointed when my life imploded that I just, I, it was depression, it was hard. This is about six years ago, and, um, and it was broken. And it was kind of coming out of this season that I wrote myself this note. It says, Dear Caleb, that's me, uh, pause for a moment and remember where you are now is enough. Nothing will be more satisfying than learning to be satisfied today. Make sure Hillary, my wife, knows that she is enough. Make sure your friends and coworkers know they are enough. And then with joy and contentment, push, make progress, lead, grow, build, and you just might enjoy the journey. There is an obsession in our culture with being somewhere else and then we miss out on the here and the now. There is this obsession with being someone else, and then we miss out on who God has made us to be, who we are really, enjoying that, and then letting him do what he wants to do. I was driving pre-iPhone, pre-iPhone, I was driving in the mountains by myself. Typically, when I drive, and my wife is riding shotgun, I just turn and go where she tells me, because my sense of direction is not the best. And unlike my dad, who, who is in denial of this reality, and mom is telling him where to go, and he's like, I know where I'm going. And then 20 minutes later, she, he's asking her where he should be going. I just own it, okay? Some of you guys just need to own it, too, you know? <laughs> let your lady tell you where to drive. This is, you know. So I do, right, Hillary? I do. I let, I let her tell me where to go. So this is pre-Hillary and pre-iPhone. I'm driving in the mountains. I'm trying to get to this retreat center, and I can't find it. I'm turned around. I don't know where I am. I pull off to this gas station, and I pull in, and I go to the guy. And the guy with this big old beard, he leans over his counter, and I get out the map, and I say, Guy, I'm supposed to try to get here to this place, and uh, I don't know where I am. Can you help me? And he leans onto the map. He looks and sees where he goes, oh, oh you can't get there from here. <laughs> I'm like, what am I, in the Bermuda Triangle? or What, it, where, <laughs> what is this? he sorted it out and he had me go back to this way where I had come from and I took a wrong turn here and then I could get up the mountain to this place. But those words stuck in my mind. You can't get there from here. And friends, we are being sold a lie that if we pursue greatness, if we pursue this idea of self and who we should be, if we pursue fame and fortune, that we can get it. Just believe and you will get it. And you can't get to a fulfilling life from here. That will never fulfill. You will, there will always be more money to be made. There will always be more fame to be had. There will always be more people to impress. It will never satisfy. You can't get to the life of meaning, purpose, hope, your dream that you, that you feel inside from there. Maybe you are in a place where you have had a dream. You have, you have believed something for your life, and, and it is not panning out and playing out like you had hoped. Maybe you're here today, and that's the case. Maybe you have some expectation that God wants to use you in big ways. The warning is not to get confused by the obsession, by the draw, by the pull of our culture, but instead, look to what God says. Because God's ways, you'll see in your notes, are opposite of the world's ways. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
There is a default way of thinking in our culture that thinks that if we just believe it, if we just get pulled in, if we just go for this thing with all we got, then we will be happy. No, you might get somewhere else, but it will never feel like enough. God's ways are opposite of, of the world's ways. Look at this couple of verses in Haggai. It says, now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink and never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, your pursuits aren't working. The things that you're trying in this world are going to continue to let you down. They're going to continue to disappoint. If you pursue the things that the world says to pursue, you will continually be disappointed and let down. Because after all, everyone in Orange County wants those things. Those are not extraordinary dreams. Everyone in Orange County wants more money, a bigger house, a nicer car. That's ordinary. Those are ordinary obsessions. But extraordinary. It's what God has, what he can uniquely do with your life and with my life. Jesus, he always taught of a countercultural and unusual approach to life. Mark 9, he says this, sitting down, Jesus called the 12, his disciples, and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, must be a servant of all. He says, it's not, it's not a bad thing to want to be special, to want to be great, but you're not going to get it the way you think. Jesus, when he walked this earth 2,000 years ago, the Hebrew, the, the Jewish boys and girls, they, it, was a, it was a different time in a different place, okay? So they had this obsession with rabbis. And they trained, rabbis are teachers, Jewish teachers in the day. They were the religious leaders. They were the height of the culture. They were special. And so you, if you were born into that day, would have been grown up to learn the ways of the rabbi. You would have been grown up reading your Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and not only reading them, but memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Now, by the time you were six years old all the way to 16, you were learning, you were eating, breathing, and living your Torah. And you were just consuming it as a way of life. It was all you thought about. You posted you know, verses on your body to remember them, right? They're trying to memorize as much as they can. And it was a very... Um, elitist kind of a system. So, so the smartest kids in class, they would be rewarded by being paired up with or, or following the most promising, the most prominent rabbis. Okay? So it was like, it was like you know, my little Johnny, you don't, you don't put it on the back of your, uh, your car, right? My, my little Johnny is an honor student at the elementary school. This is my little Johnny uh, got picked up by Rabbi Jones. And everyone knows, oh, dang, Rabbi Jones. He's, he's the deal. Little Johnny is sharp, right? So, so that's the deal. How many of you uh, got in, sucked into the Olympics uh, this last season? So nobody? I mean, seriously, this is a little bit of crowd participation here. Olympics, people. It was, it was special. So how many of you remember the 10,000 meter when the, the gold medal and the silver medalist were trained by the same coach in Portland? Anybody remember that? So the same two guys win the gold and silver. Boom, boom. They win this thing. And they were both trained in Portland, Oregon by the same coach. What's his name? Salazar. I think his last name is Salazar. Alberto Salazar. 
Now, how many of you could imagine that for, two, for 2016, uh, Alberto Salazar, he's going to have a lot of people that want to be his running disciples. Are you with me? He's going to have a lot of people who want to be trained in his ways on how to run because he just delivered the gold and the silver medalist in the 2012 Olympics. It's kind of like that. So these kids are coming up, and they're thinking, we want to be with the best rabbis. So Jesus comes into this scene, and he goes, and he, he doesn't go to the classroom and find the best, the top performers, right? He goes to the lake, and he drafts fishermen to be his disciples. He drafts ordinary people. Now, these are still guys who had been trained like all the other kids. They just didn't make the cut. They weren't picked up by one of the other rabbis. They weren't, they weren't altogether special. They weren't the brightest of the kids. They didn't show the most promise going forward as, as potential future rabbis. Instead, they were... They became fishermen. They kind of fell into maybe the family business or what they had seen other people doing. And so, and so here they are out fishing. They're probably in their late teens, early 20s, and Jesus finds them and he says, hey, I want you guys to be my disciples. And they're like, what? It's not over for us? We still get to do this dream? We still get to have this, this opportunity? And this Jesus guy, we've heard about him. This guy, is, there's something different about this guy. So they left everything that they were doing and they followed this Jesus. And they followed him all the way until he died and was risen again. Okay? And after he was raised from the dead, he went into heaven. And now his disciples are carrying on his ministry in the world. And look at what it says in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they, the people saw the courage of Peter and John, the courage of these disciples, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The starting place for us today, friends, the starting place is to embrace ordinary. Embrace the ordinary. Jesus found ordinary disciples, and he made them into extraordinary world changers that have, have led us to this place where we are today. That is why we gather, because we are still, we are still in the current of this Jesus and, and of his followers living, breathing the church of God into our culture and community, just like they began 2,000 years ago. He brought these ordinary guys so, so much to life by his spirit that it changed the world forever. And we are still participating in that today. Jesus used ordinary people. Jesus also lived an ordinary life. Jesus showed up in a barn. He was born in a barn. He hung out with people like you and me at bars. He watched football with guys, essentially, like the cultural translation of that, right? He hung out. I mean, he was just a regular guy. Do you know why we meet in a place like this? Because it's ordinary, because we don't need the, hot, the, the, the crazy, fancy stuff. There is, something, there is something powerful about the ordinary being transformed into a godly purpose, into a divine thing. God does something special when he takes ordinary places. That is a big reason of why we meet in a theater, in a library, in purple chairs, right? <laughs> because ordinary is good. God uses 
ordinary. And he taught us the same. Now our culture tries to get us, remember our culture tries to pull us into this pursuit of self and this pursuit of greatness. And Jesus and God's spirit is continually drawing us back saying, no, 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 no. There's actually more than that. There's actually more than this elusive thing, this place that you'll never actually obtain. You'll never be satisfied. There's more for you. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, who, being God himself, did not try to leverage the fact that he was God, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, coming as a human, God in skin, verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is our rabbi. That is the one that we follow. He is the one who came then and comes today and says, I'm looking for ordinary. Ordinary is okay because I will do something extraordinary with your ordinary life. He still comes and he whispers to you today, you might have had this dream for your life and maybe that's on the right path and, and you're gonna be, and it's, and it's gonna happen or maybe it didn't work out that way and you're experiencing disappointment and discontentment and you're not sure what to do next. Trust this God with your ordinary. In your notes, ordinary people connected to Jesus, anything is possible. Anything is possible. You can't dream too big when you're pursuing this God. Look at John 14, 12. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I, this is Jesus talking, have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That is why we do what we do, because we believe that God is still alive. Jesus is still alive. He's still recruiting disciples to this day. And he's still taking our ordinary lives, the, the places where we're disappointed, the places where we mess up, our weaknesses, our frailties, even though we're not great, we might not be the most articulate, we might not be as good of leaders as we should be, and he says, that's okay, I got that. I will use that. I will use you. And so we meet and we talk and we remind ourselves in ordinary places like this that God has in mind great things for you. That it's not a matter of not dreaming enough. It's not a matter of, a matter of you're dreaming too big and you shouldn't dream that big. It's, it's, it's a matter of you're not dreaming big enough. Because the God of the universe is here and wants to use your ordinary. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and life to the full. At the most fundamental level, Jesus wants life to the full. Not life, not life that's compromised. The enemy will come and steal, kill, and destroy, and he offers us these things. He offers us, you know you've tried to fill your life with other things that the world offers, right? Food and just more food, money and more money, sex and more sex. 
status and more status, those things don't satisfy. I know you know that. I know you've experienced that at some level. And Jesus says, but I am the source of this full and meaningful life. It's my hope, God says, that you live your life to the utmost, to the full. There's got to be more. And there is more for you and for me. And that's why we're here. We don't, uh, we don't just gather on Sundays to, to hang out and, and have tacos because there's nothing else to do. We don't just give messages and teach from the Bible to hear ourselves talk. We don't just sing because we're good musicians. We believe that God is alive and that he's still in the business of using ordinary people. And we gather and we sing and we talk and we teach because we are reminding each other that there is more. There is more for us. He has more of this full life. That's why we do what we do. And you'll hear all kinds of things in this culture that will try to pull and steer you away. And so we come and we remind ourselves of, of the things that matter most. Now, that's, that's the why, right? That's the why behind what we do, why we gather here, why, why we sing, why we talk, why we encourage each other. Now, there's also a how. Uh, I want to remind us, I want to give you kind of a glimpse on, on how we as a church do what we do. So we do, we gather on Sunday mornings like this at 9 and 11. And as you can see, uh, there will be a day in the not too distant future when we go to a third service or to a larger space because we will continue to grow as long as there are more people in our community that don't yet know this God, that don't yet have this hope of a full and meaningful life, that are still chasing after lesser things and coming up empty, we will continue to grow. And so we gather in places like this, in ordinary places, and we sing and we worship and we come together and we celebrate who God is and what he's doing. Gather. We also get together into groups. You heard Jordan talking about Rooted. Rooted is the mechanism that we use to get people into groups because it's not just enough for us to meet on Sundays. We also want to meet during the week and do life together in community, right? Because it's just the way that life is meant to live, connected to one another. The, you know, who's your 2 a.m. phone call, right? When, when stuff is crazy, you got to have a 2 a.m. phone call. And so in our groups, someone that you can trust to call when it's an emergency, when it's late at night, when family stuff is tough, when you lose your job. And so we gather in those tighter communities. And if you don't have a group like that, I'd encourage you to start this week and sign up for Rooted. It is, it's, it's a 10-week commitment that we hope will then translate into a life group, people just doing life together. It's an awesome thing, so consider that if you haven't already. I think we've got six groups that are going to be starting this week. We gather on Sundays. We meet in groups, and then we go out and change the world. We call that outreach. So it's not enough just for us to be connected. We're continually reaching out to less fortunate. We're continually reaching out to those who don't yet know their creator, their designer. That is what we do. That is why we do what we do. We are ordinary people that are just so, so convinced that this God is good and that he's still using ordinary people like us today that we keep gathering and we keep in relationship and we keep going out and we will keep doing so as long as we're here, as long as we live. There's a, uh, a friend of mine up in Seattle who is the pastor of a church. My wife and I lived up in that area uh, before we moved here for about three years. And this guy's a pastor of a church in 
I think it's Bothell, it's right outside Seattle. And he told me this story of a very ordinary girl uh, that God has used her story in an extraordinary way. Her name is Rachel. And Rachel heard about this organization called Charity Water. Have you heard of Charity Water? Charity Water is a nonprofit that, uh, it, that helps people in other countries, villages, Africa, Central America, South America, to get clean water. There are millions of people that go without clean water and they're dying as a result. And so my friend up in Seattle had the guy from Charity Water come and speak. And Rachel was there at nine years old. She heard this vision of all these people, these millions of people without clean water, and she thought, well, there's something that I can do. And so for Rachel's ninth birthday, which was just about a month away, she went on to charitywater.org and she created a page. And she said, for my ninth birthday, I don't want gifts. I want you to give to Charity Water. She raised $220 right before her birthday when she was killed in a car accident. And a 13-car pile up on the 90 in Bellevue, Washington. And as he recounts the story, and as you can see now on national news, people found out about this. The church, they mourned over Rachel. They, they honored her in the service, and they said, hey, we just want to make sure that she gets over her $300 mark. So people gave, and then more people gave. And then they put this thing, this thing just went crazy on Facebook. And we have like a shot a picture of the actual total as of today. $1.2 million has been raised and over 60,000 people now have clean water because a nine-year-old girl who felt very ordinary thought, well, I can raise $300, right? And her story has moved tens of thousands of people to give $1.2 million to the cause. Friends, that's a story in Bothell, Washington, the tragedy turned into something amazing, and God does that. He uses ordinary people, and he even uses tragic circumstances to do miracles. But I want you to know we have people here in our midst who are doing similar things. We have, we have a guy in our church who, who started giving he noticed that there are people that don't have wheelchairs, don't have accessibility to wheelchairs, and so he started wheelchair, this free wheelchair giveaway ministry, and he's given hundreds of thousands of wheelchairs away in this country and in countries around the world. We have other people in here who are doing it on a daily basis. They see a need, and they're meeting a need. We're going to tell you stories for the coming weeks. I'm going to interview people. We're going to see videos of people, ordinary people, who have come in contact with this God, and he has done such a thing in their hearts and in my heart and in our hearts that he, does, he just brings out the extraordinary, that they have cashed in their chips of trying to reach some kind of cultural pinnacle that is ever elusive and unable to attain because you're never satisfied. And they've said, God, I will use my ordinary life for what you have. I will, I will give my, my ordinary life to what it is that you tell me to and they are dreaming huge dreams, and amazing things are happening in our midst, in our community, and as a result, around the world. And I believe that God is whispering to some of you dreams, visions of, of who you are supposed to become, of the amount of money that you are supposed to make, the, the, the success that you are supposed to have, the things that you are supposed to obtain by now. And he's saying, no, that's okay. 
I like ordinary. I just want you. And what you will see is when you give your heart, your life to this God, he takes your ordinary and he will make something great. And he will use you as he is using us to change the world. There is a story in the book of Judges chapter 6 about a guy named Gideon. Gideon Gideon was a part of a people, the Hebrew people, who were oppressed by another nation at that time, by another group of people. And their armies were about to go to battle against each other. Gideon was just a regular guy. But God had in mind that this oppression of these people was about to come to an end. And he wanted to use Gideon. He shows up in an angelic-like way, and he says to Gideon, he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then he tells him, I want you to go and I want you to lead the army against this other army, this opposing army, and you will have victory. You will win the day. And Gideon panics. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. My clan, my tribe is the smallest of all the tribes of your people here. And, and P.S., I'm the smallest, weakest guy in my tribe. So I'm not sure if, you're, if you understand kind of the math that you're using here, but this is, this is like the definition of underdog. And God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord calls out in us what is not yet. The, the God of the universe who designed you knows what he has put in you. He knows what he has for you, and he will call it out even though you do not yet see it for yourself. And he will win that battle. And if you know the story, it's a famous story. Gideon had this army of like 30,000, and God said, yeah, that's too much. Let's whittle it down. So we whittle it down to 10,000 to go against this other huge army of 30, 40, 50,000. And God's like, yeah, yeah, still too much. He whittled it down to 300 people. He let all the rest go. And God sent Gideon and this army of 300 unlikely soldiers to go against this enormous army, and they wiped him out. Because God loves using ordinary, small things that have to be repurposed, lives that he has to redeem, stories that he has to take and, and make a new way, and he loves bringing extraordinary from ordinary. He loves bringing good from bad and great from small and seemingly insignificant. That's what our God does, and that's what he is doing in our midst, and that's what he wants to do in you, in your own story, in your own life. He wants to call out in you what you don't see yet. It's not that your dream is too big. It's that the dream of fame and fortune and stuff is too small. That's too ordinary. God has more in mind for you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you never give up on us that you use our brokenness, our weakness, our frailty. You even use the failure of our story for good as you have in my life, as I know you are in many lives here. God, would you speak now? Would you give us the courage to respond, to believe that you want to use our ordinary existence for something special, for something that 
in a, in a small or big way, is literally world-changing, that we get to participate with you, the source of all good things, the God, the, the author of life, that you would choose us. That is the miracle. Not that you do great things, but that you choose to use me, that you choose to use each of my friends here. God, would you draw us into that bigger story?